0: It is good to be back with you this evening. If you would, please open your Bible to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. I want us to notice verses 16 through 21. Luke chapter 12. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully... This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. The thing about life is that death comes to all people. The writer of Hebrews warned us in Hebrews 9.27 that after the death that comes to all men comes the judgment. Even those that remain when the Lord returns will experience a separation of body and spirit, which is a death, according to James 2.26. And Paul told the Corinthians, if you notice 1 Corinthians 15, 51-54, he talks about exposing to them a mystery. He said, "...not all will sleep, or not all will taste physical death as is normal in this life." but will all be changed when Christ comes back, those of us who are alive at His return, which is death, separation of what we know as our body from the Spirit. Our body will be transformed, He said, in the twinkling of an eye. And so death comes to all people, whether we're prepared for it or whether we're not prepared for it. There's a story told of a businessman who once a year would go to his financial advisor and he would sit down in front of him without saying a word after he walked into his office and he would make a statement. He would say, I died last night. Tell me what happened to my family, to my business, and to my estate. Well, of course, if he had actually died, financial investment would have been the last thing on his mind. But I think that's a good question. That's what I've titled this sermon this evening. I died last night. We need to think about that, don't we? In the parable, the Lord asked the rich fool this. He said, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall these things be which thou hast provided? As we read the words of our Lord, let us not allow His sarcasm to be lost within the text. Whose goods were those things? Who provided those things? Well, of course, the Lord provided them. That's what James says, right? James 1.17, Every good and perfect gift cometh down from the Father of lights. So, his sarcastic statement is, Now whose are these things going to be that you have provided? See, he was so caught up in the physical that he didn't even understand the source of his goods. And he should have After all, at that time, he was a child of God, wasn't he? He was a Jew. He should have recognized that. And we don't want to think about death while we live. That's just natural. It's not something that we enjoy thinking about. It's not something that is pleasant because we are physical beings and that is a process of which we know very little about. We do not understand that, do we? Because those of us who live have never experienced it. We can't talk to those who have. And so it seems to me that that is a reasonable uh, view of death is to be a little wary of it. I don't know that we can help that, right? But have you ever thought about your last second on earth? Have you ever thought about the last second that you might live? What if we're alive when the Lord returns? Maybe I'm sitting at a ball game and I'm watching my favorite team play and just as the center snaps the ball to the quarterback, all of a sudden, the Lord Himself shall descend with a shout with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God. First Thessalonians 4.16. Have you ever thought that? What about the drunkard who takes the bottle and as he's lifting it up to his lip and he looks up into the sky and he sees... Jesus in flaming fire coming with His angels. 2 Thessalonians 1.8 But now what about this? Maybe I'm sitting in the pew of the services of the Lord's church and all of a sudden, the members begin to change right before my eyes. And the faithful begin to ascend to meet the Lord in the sky where they will be with Him Forever. 1 Thessalonians 4, 17. Where will I be if I died last night? We want to be ascending with the faithful, right? We want to be with God forever. We want to have lived our lives in such a way as that we are prepared to meet God. If I died last night, what would have happened to me is the question, isn't it? Well, if in this life, And this is our first point. If I deferred to Christ, I would be in paradise. If I deferred to Christ. If I died last night. But, how do we do that? How do we defer to Christ? It's seen in our response to the Gospel, right? How did I respond to the Gospel? How did I behave toward the message that I heard? But what exactly is gospel obedience? As I began to think about this subject, I couldn't help but think maybe therein is at least part of the problem when we begin to think about becoming a New Testament Christian. When Paul wrote his letter to Rome, he wanted to make sure that those brethren understood exactly how you stand justified in the sight of God. How to come back to Him in reconciliation? We all remember Romans ten twelve through 17. He said, for there is no difference between Jew and the Greek. He said, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon Him. So in some way we have to call upon the Lord, right? Then he says, for whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how the gospel, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace, and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Like the Romans, we have to obey the gospel today, but where does it start? I think a lot of people misunderstand and, and this problem arises on exactly, what does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? Well, what we need to do, we have to start with the source, right? We have to understand from where do we get our information? Paul said we listen to the gospel. See, the problem in the world is too many people are listening to other men and women. Someone grows up in a denomination and it becomes generational, right? On down through the years, on down through the generations, people also come up in that denomination. It's hard to break away from that. I understand that. I understand that. It is hard to stop doing something that we've done for maybe even a majority of our lives and we thought we were doing it correctly. That's very difficult to break away from that. But what's our soul's worth? What are our soul's worth? Well, Jesus said, For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Mark 8.36 We have to listen to the gospel so we can protect our greatest asset. It's Just like the businessman who went to his financial advisor. He was protecting what he thought was his greatest assets. That's not our greatest assets. Our souls are our greatest assets, and we have to protect them just like someone would take care of his finances. If we're going to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ, we have to be willing to be submissive. And that's difficult. That's difficult. Jesus confirmed to us, He said in Matthew 7.21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. You know, we read in that context and we learn that someone might say, well, didn't I do wonderful works in your name? Didn't I cast out devils in your name? They thought, or at least many of them did, that they were living like God wanted them to live. And Jesus says, I don't know who you are. Because sometimes we aren't submissive. Sometimes we want to stick with what we know, right? Have you ever heard someone say, it's better to have the devil that you know instead of the devil that you don't know? I hear that a lot in politics, right? But see, we better know who God is. doesn't matter what the devil's doing as long as we're doing what God wants us to do. We know what He's going to do, right? We have to give up pride. It ought to be easy for anyone to look at Christ and say, I've been doing this wrong for 30 years, but since I received the greatest gift known to mankind, I'm going to change what I'm doing. But it is difficult. We have to understand that, don't we? It's hard. We have to be able to explain it to people. We have to uh, allow them to understand that we're not being judgmental in the fact that we think they're stupid or they're not very smart for not being a New Testament Christian like the Bible says. They think they are. So we have to work with them in such a way that we make them comfortable and able to listen to us, right? Because our souls are our greatest assets. We have to give up pride. We have to do those things that please God, right? There are works that God requires of each of us. Paul commended the Thessalonians for their work of faith. I thought that's a great statement. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 3 He commended them for their work of faith, their labor of love, and their patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God our Father. There are certain works we have to do that pleases God. Paul commanded those, or commanded that one should do works meet for repentance. Acts 26 verse 20. Notice what he told the Romans again. He said in Romans chapter 10, 9 through 10, He said, Confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and thou shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised Him from the dead. Thou shalt be saved. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and shall believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. Now people misunderstand that passage, don't they? But what does it mean to believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead. That means to believe what Jesus taught, because He taught that, didn't He? He prophesied that. What does it mean to believe with all of our hearts that Jesus rose from the dead? That means we listen to what He says, and we obey His commandments. He doesn't stop there though. He says, "...for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness." And with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. If we look at that passage with an open mind and an open heart, we understand that if all we do is believe and confess, that is not salvation. That leads us unto salvation. We have to do those other works that Jesus commanded one to do. While well, Saul the persecutor was yet a sinner, Ananias went to him and Recorded in Acts twenty two sixteen, and he said, Why tarriest thou? Rise and be baptized, washing away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. All those things are commanded by God and not by men. But let's notice the situation in which Saul found himself. Do you know what he was doing for three days? Sure you do. Praying, but he wasn't saved. Did he believe in the Lord? Absolutely. He called him by name on the road to Damascus, didn't he? He asked him, he said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? He believed. He was praying. I believe the man was penitent. We see works meet for repentance. But he wasn't saved, was he? Why? Because he had not obeyed. He had not done what Jesus had commanded the apostles to teach. If we spend all of our time trying to prove that what we've been doing is right, sometimes we miss what the Bible says, right? And we need to be open-minded to what the Bible teaches. It is possible for any of us to be wrong about something. It's possible for any of us to be wrong, but if we stand in the sight of God and we live our lives by His standard, we'll be okay if we'll listen to what He says. It's also possible to live under the delusion that maybe I've lived a certain way in my life only to come to find out maybe I haven't. Maybe I wasn't the parent that I thought I was. Maybe I wasn't the husband or the wife that I thought I was. Maybe I wasn't the child that I thought I was. You know when we find all those things out for sure? When we die? Remember, I died last night. We're gonna know. Was I the man that I thought I was? Was I the woman that I thought I was? Maybe I thought I was doing certain things and really I wasn't. I need to open my eyes, right? I need to look into the Scripture. We can understand and know in this life. But we have to dedicate ourselves to the Bible. Did I instill in my children that God is more important than sporting events? That God is more important than being popular in school or some kind of worldly pursuit? Did my husband or my wife know that I was a faithful child of God by my actions? 1 Peter 3 verse 2 I died last night and what reward did my response be? What was my response? What was the reward of my response? Every action in this life will bring some kind of a reward. Paul warned, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. There will be rewards for disobedience, and we can stand assured that the disobedience will be in hell eternally. Have you ever sat down and really thought about hell? That's not something we like to think about, is it? But we better. We better sit down and consider exactly What hell has in store for its inhabitants. Notice a few things. Matthew 23, 33, it is a place of punishment. Matthew 8, 12, it is a place of the darkest dark that you've ever been in. It is a place of eternal fire. Matthew 13, 40 through 42. It is a place where we will never be in the presence of God, He is not there. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 Perhaps, to me anyway, the worst aspect or characteristic of hell is that it is eternal. It never ends. Matthew 25.41 Hell is a place of pain. Matthew 22.13 It is a place of no rest. Revelation 4.11 hell is a place of broken families and bad memories luke 16:28 but here's something about hell hell is not a place for any of us unless we choose to go there it was created for the devil and his angels matthew 25:41 not for god's greatest creation but we can go there the good news is though we do not have to go there We do not have to live eternally in hell. We can receive the reward of obedience. It's just as easy to receive the reward of obedience through choice as it is to receive the reward of disobedience through choice. We just simply have to choose to do it. Now, the life perhaps is a a little bit more of a struggle to live a godly life in a world of sin, but it is easy to say, hey, I want to choose this or choose that. We do it every day. We choose what clothes we put on, what shoes we wear. We choose when we get up, when we go to bed. We make choices all day long. I want us to keep in mind, though, that there's no good time to obey the gospel. There is only now. There's only now, right? Paul said, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Now is the only time one can obey the gospel. Not tomorrow. We certainly can't obey the gospel yesterday. Only now is the opportunity. General William Nelson, a Union general in the Civil War, was consumed with the battles in Kentucky. That's all he thought about. Victory in the battles in Kentucky. And a brawl ended up ending his life. He was worried about the things going on in the world when a brawl broke out in a bar back during the Civil War. He was mortally wounded in his chest. All of a sudden, his priorities changed. He was relaxing with his men. He wasn't engaged in battle. He was taking just a few minutes off from what he had been doing, and now all of a sudden his ideas on life changed. He was caught fully unprepared like most people in the world. As men ran up the stairs to help him, the general uttered just one phrase, is all he uttered. He said, Send for a clergyman, I wish to be baptized. He never had time to be baptized as a young man. He never had time to be baptized as a private in the Union Army. He never had time to be baptized as a general in the Union Army. He simply never had time to be baptized. And his wound did not slow the war down. His wound did not change anything in the world. His wound certainly did not give him a greater opportunity to obey the gospel. Everything around him was virtually left unchanged, except his priorities. Now, all of a sudden, he's worrying about what happens next. See, that's what's going to happen. What if I died last night, right? That's the question. With only minutes left before he entered into eternity, the only thing he cared about was preparing for it. But he didn't have time for that in life. Thirty minutes later, he was dead. Now remember again, I died last night. And I do not have any more opportunities to obey the the gospel of Jesus Christ. I may have even been obedient at one time. I may have been obedient. I may have obeyed the gospel. But yet I became unfaithful at some point in my life. But I died last night. Was I dedicated to the Lord at my death? That's our second point. Was I dedicated? Was I intent on serving Jesus forcefully? Was that the main thing in my life? Could He rely upon me? Was I a trustworthy and a dependable disciple? Was I exactly what He needed me to be? I died last night and then I see my life flashing right before my eyes. And what do I see? Do I like what I see? Was I intent on learning and growing in the Lord? Peter demanded that, didn't he? Second Peter three eighteen, Second 2 Timothy 2.15 Paul demanded that we study to show ourselves approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the Word of God. If there are situations or scenarios wherein I ought to be ashamed, I need to change that, right, if I'm not studying properly. When was the last time we opened the pages of God's Word and dug into it and really wanted to understand what God had to say? Your life is passing right before your eyes and you're trying to determine it. was I intent on serving God? Did I spend time in communion with Him in prayer? Did I ever sit in silent prayer to God speaking and talking with Him? Paul said, Philippians 4 verse 6, Be careful for nothing. Do not be full of care, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. Did I spend time praying for my fellow Christian? Did I spend time praying for those who had never obeyed the gospel? James said, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. He went on to say that the effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much, James 5.16. I died last night. What am I seeing? And now I know whether I was a truly sacrificial giving person right we will understand that clearly at our deaths but that is exactly what christianity is isn't it it is a sacrificial giving life the very foundation of our religion gave all that he had gave up everything so we could have everything how did i respond to that am i dedicated I don't understand why anyone would want to wait to be a Christian once they understand what it means to be a Christian and how to do that. When we sit in the pew and the collection plate comes by, am I generous with my offering? Paul commanded, he said, But this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he is purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly, or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Remember, I died last night. Was I truly a sacrificial giver in every aspect of my life? We'll find it out at that moment, won't we? It won't be hard to figure out and to understand. I've struggled with that. It seems like my whole Christian life. How much do I give? We're not told exactly. I wish we were. Wouldn't it be a lot easier if it was just like under the Old Testament, you give a percentage of your money and then you don't have to worry about it? I wonder why it's not like that. Maybe it has everything to do with our attitude towards God, right? Not just skimping by with the least amount possible. I struggled with that. But see, we need to struggle with it, don't we? We need to try to spend time thinking about it because we'll know. When we go from time into eternity, it all will be clear then. I died last night and now know for sure whether I was intent on serving God or whether I was dedicated to indifference. Sometimes a Christian will just fade as he goes along, won't he? That happens. That happens. It isn't just good enough to have a good start. See, we have to have a good finish. Perhaps we meant to be more faithful to the Lord. Maybe if I had just lived a little longer, I would have studied the Bible a little more. Maybe I would have been a better worker for the Lord. Paul asked. He said, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the gospel? Galatians 5, 7. Now, to whom was he writing? He was writing to Christians. He said, you started off really well, but then you faded as you went along. He said, who kept you from obeying the gospel? See, he was talking to people who were trying to leave Jesus. They ran faithfully for a period of time, but because of their actions, he would go on to tell them in Galatians 5.4, you have fallen from grace. You died last night, and at one time you had salvation right in the palm of your hand. And you chose to give it up. Now Peter warned us about that, didn't he? Notice 2 Peter 2.20-22. 2, through The dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed in her, to her wallowing in the mire. Why is it worse? I fully believe in my heart that it's worse because the person who was a Christian and falls away when he lifts up his eyes, being in torments, just like the rich man of Luke 16, and seeing Lazarus afar off in the bosom of Abraham, he knows in his heart I could be there. And He's not. To me, that would have to make it worse. Was I indifferent? I died last night and my life flashed before my eyes. And then I truly understood, did I direct anyone to God? That's our third point. Did I help them to open the door to the Savior? Was that what I did in this life? Jesus promised, Matthew 7, 7 through 8, He said, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Did I help anyone in this life open the door? I died last night, and all of a sudden I came to a clear understanding of whether or not I was a shining light to the world of darkness, or whether I wasn't or was I just another person who never obeyed the gospel even though I had opportunity to do that that's going to be very clear when a person becomes a Christian he is also to become a light to the world a city that is set on a hill cannot be hid Jesus said Matthew 5:14 through 15 neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel instead what do they do he said, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. I died last night. Did I help to open the doors of the kingdom, or did I obstruct someone from going in? Now we think of that, and and we say, well, of course, I would never tell someone not to obey the gospel. I would never encourage someone that wanted to live a good moral life to to not live a good moral life, but that's not the only way we can obstruct, is it? Did I obstruct someone by not taking the opportunity to teach them the gospel? Think about this. How's it going to feel if on that great day we're standing before the judge of all the world, we're looking at him right in the eye, and then we hear a voice and someone is asking us the question I didn't know you were a Christian. Won't that be terrible? And then we hear, depart from me, I don't know who you are. And that person goes off into iniquity, Matthew seven twenty three. 23. Well, I look up at the Lord and say, you know, I meant to study with that person. I meant to take advantage of all the opportunities. I intended to be a good example. I didn't mean to miss all those times when I could have talked about our Savior. That's not what I wanted. But we still obstructed. Will I be like the Pharisees of Jesus' day when He said this? He said, "But woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! He said, for ye shut up the kingdom of heaven against men; for ye neither go in yourselves, neither suffer ye them that are entering to go in." Matthew twenty-three thirteen. Here's some other ways we obstruct. Did I obstruct? the doorway into heaven because of the way I treated my husband or my wife? Did I obstruct the doorway to heaven because of the way I treated my children or my friends? Did I pass up the opportunity to make someone's life just a little bit easier? James said, pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. He said, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. James one twenty seven. Did I treat those around me the way in which I would like to have been treated? Did I behave like Christ when He said therefore all things whatsoever ye would that men should do to you. Matthew 7.12 Do ye even so to them for this is the law and the prophets. People do not care how much I know until they know how much I care. Right? That's a That's a mantra we all should live by. I died last night, and now I know whether or not I helped to develop anyone in the kingdom of God. Was I a force for good in the world? Did I leave a good mark on the lives of people by the way in which I lived my life? I died last night, and will my name be mentioned as an example to be followed or one to be forgotten? We still remember Adam, don't we? Adam, Seth, Noah, Shem, Abraham, Moses, David, Rahab, Esther, Ruth, Abigail, all of those great men and women of the the Bible. we remember their names and we remember what they did. But we must never rely upon what we gain in this world to allow us to be remembered for good after we leave this world. Have you ever heard of Howard Hughes? Of course you have. You remember him more for his erratic behavior the last 15 or 20 years of his life than for his multitude of dollars. At the time of his death, he was the owner of $2.5 billion. I don't know what that equals to in today's money, but it's a lot. He owned private jets, hotels, casinos. He was the richest man in the United States when he died. And the only person that they could get to claim his body upon his death was a distant cousin. And when that distant cousin walked into the morgue, he said, is this Mr. Hughes? Isn't that awful? He wasn't honored or or loved after he was gone. He was barely even missed. Not a single acquaintance or relative attended or mourned his death. Now what about this? The only honor he received was a moment of silence in his Las Vegas casinos. Time Magazine wrote this. They said, Howard Hughes' death was commemorated in Las Vegas by a minute of silence. Casinos fell silent. Housewives stood uncomfortably clutching their paper cups full of coins at the slot machines. The blackjack games paused. And at the crap tables, the stick men cradled the die in the crook of their wooden wands. Then a pit boss looked at his watch, leaned forward and whispered, Okay, roll the dice. He's had his minute. What a shame. What a shame. You died last night. Were you forgotten or were you a force for good? That's a question we all ought to ask. Were you satisfied with what you saw if you died last night? Now, thankfully, we didn't. We didn't die last night. But we need to think about it. Are we ready to live for Christ today? And perhaps ready to die for him tomorrow, or whenever that time comes. Remember the words of Paul. Second Timothy four: six through eight, He said, "For I am now ready to be offered." We remember what he said. I fought a good fight, I kept the faith, and now there's a crown of righteousness laid up for me, but not to me only, but to all who love his appearing, all of us who look forward to it. Don't leave here tonight not prepared for the end of this life. Because one night or one day or one evening, we will die. And we'll go from time into eternity. Don't leave here not prepared. If you're subject to the Lord's invitation, if you've never obeyed the gospel, do that. If you've become unfaithful, come back to Him. You need to answer this invitation. Do that as we stand and as we sing.